Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, but please don't call me with that. That's too personal. Joining me today is Devinder Hardwar. <laughs> Why won't anybody save Curly? For the love of God, save Curly. <laughs> and Jeff Kanata. I just want to use this opportunity to invite you guys to my basement party. Ooh. <laughs> Sounds fun, Jeff. Those are vague and oblique references to the fact that today on the podcast, we're going to be reviewing Drive Away Dolls, uh, the newest movie by Ethan Cohen. Looking forward to this conversation about uh, a movie by one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. Should be a fun time. So uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com and find us across many platforms online at the Filmcast Pod. We're also on TikTok at Filmcast. Today on the podcast, we have a bunch of film news we're going to be discussing today, and then we are going to be moving on into a bunch of what we've been watching before we get to our review of Driveaway Dolls. I do want to mention that for scheduling reasons, we are recording this podcast on Friday, February 23rd. So if something happens between <laughs> when we're recording this and when this episode comes out, and we don't talk about it. That's why. And I just feel the need to caveat that because no, usually, time usually yes. something big happens on Monday or Tuesday. And well, also, like, like Friday is a good time to drop bad news. So, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, if, so, the, if the Paramount and uh, Comcast <laughs> merger happens, it'll, it could be on a Friday afternoon. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So anyway, uh, just letting people know we're recording early. The episode's releasing at the same time as usual. So uh, if we don't make reference to current events, that is why. Uh, I do want to announce at patreon.com slash film podcast, which is how you can support the podcast, get ad-free episodes and exclusive After Darks. Uh, this last week, we discussed the True Detective Night Country season finale. Uh, on this coming week, you know, this coming week's After Dark, you know, we are kicking off our Dune coverage. We're going to be covering Dune 1, just doing a rewatch, reflecting on mm -hmm. what we thought about this movie from a few years ago before we dive into our Dune 2 review next week. Next week on the After Dark, we're also going to be covering the David Lynch Dune. So welcome to the Dune series on the After Dark. Again, to get those episodes, patreon.com slash film podcast. Again, Dune this week, David Lynch Dune next week, mm -hmm. uh, along with our Dune 2 review. Yeah, Anakin uh, Skywalker's least favorite series that we've ever done. Absolutely. Uh, a lot of sand <laughs> everywhere. Gets so. everywhere. A lot of Dune. Dune, Dune, Dune. Dune. Uh, we got a correction at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Rob wrote in uh, to correct us. Uh, Rob writes in, quote, uh, I have two corrections from the past few weeks. The first is from this week's Madam Web episode, which pertains to your conversation about Voodoo and Fandango. While Voodoo was owned by Walmart, Walmart sold the Voodoo business to Fandango in April of 2020, ah. which explains why the Voodoo name is being replaced by Fandango and not the other way around, because I agree Voodoo is a stronger brand. That, and, that is correct. I have not thought of Voodoo in four years. So that is why that piece of news slipped my mind. I wonder I if that. there was something else going on in April of 2020 that might have a lot going on. caused yeah. us to not pay attention to what was going on with Voodoo and Fandango. Um, Walmart was thinking, this is the perfect time. Got to get rid of this thing. I nobody, will pay, nobody will notice. <laughs> I can't think of it. Rob's email continues, quote, the other thing I wanted to mention isn't quite a correction, but it's related to your recent conversation about true crime and why why wouldn't a serial killer just make a true crime documentary about themselves since the mm -hmm. documentary is so popular and yet another example of how little mindshare peacock occupies this concept already exists as a kaylee kuoko show on peacock called based on a true story that's a uh, show that's a, that's a <laughs> fictional show 
It's <laughs> not quite what I'm saying, but yes, uh, yes, yes. The yes. only difference being that they're making a true crime podcast instead of a documentary. It's a decent enough show, but I admit my wife and I fell off after about five to six episodes. This is why they need to merge Paramount Plus to become Paramount with Showcock Time Plus. Mm, so mm, that's good. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Showcock anyway, Time. <laughs> thank you so much for the corrections. We always appreciate it. Keep it coming into slashfilmcast at gmail.com. All right, so in the last few weeks, there's been a bunch of film news items that have been announced that I just thought we should take take a moment, step back a little bit, talk about these, because I think these are all pretty big, pretty big stories. Mm-hmm. First big one, this happened a couple weeks ago. Uh, this is the announcement of the new cast for Fantastic Four, the Marvel Fantastic, the Fantastic Four movie. Four. Sorry, the Fantastic Four movie coming out in July of 2025. Uh, and Jeff, you and I have talked about this, uh, this movie and, uh, we, we have sort of gotten potentially excited about it. Uh, you know, yeah. I don't, cause I know this is a, a property that is very near and dear to your heart, right? Jeff? It is. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so the people that are playing these characters, Pedro Pascal, Betty, Mr. Fantastic, uh, Vanessa Kirby's playing Sue Storm. Perfect. So Joseph good. Quinn, he of Stranger Things. I have no idea who that is. Yeah, uh, he plays Eddie Munson in leader of Hawkins High School's Hellfire Club in Stranger Things. If you say so. Uh, He is going to be Johnny Storm. And Eben Moss Bachrock from The Bear and Andor, he will be playing uh, The Thing or Ben Ben Grimm. He's got great Ben Grimm energy. That, he does in the, yes. in the in the the bear. He's he's full Ben Grimm. I love great it. Big uh, blocky face, that dude. What I also love <laughs> is that this guy uh, was notable for also playing kind of like a, an asshole on the show Girls, and nobody really talks about Girls anymore. But when I see when I see Eben Boss Bachrock, I don't think of him as the guy from the Bear. I'm like, it's that asshole from Girls. I'm glad he's doing well, and uh, yeah, he's he's going to be a good thing. Yeah, I feel like. This Fantastic Four thing, it it feels pretty high stakes to me. I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's not. Like w- what I mean by that is, uh-huh. uh, Marvel is in like a a rough state right now. You know, they had a very terrible twenty twenty three. They have only one movie coming out this year, which I think is going to be really successful, the Deadpool Wolverine movie. Uh, but you know, this is going to be, I-, I predict, one of their big pushes in twenty twenty five, and. I am excited for the potential of this. I think this cast is excellent, but also mm-hmm. I wonder if no one can successfully make this franchise. Work, uh, do like do you think this movie may be uh, doomed? Dave? <laughs> Maybe it needs a little bit more doom to work. You know what I'm saying? Mm. But yeah, you need I, some I, silver surfing over here. Okay, okay. Yes. Take it easy. Take it easy, Kanata. Um, <laughs> so anyway, I am. Wait curious. a minute. My yeah, name, blame for that. Blame my name for that. is not an insult. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I, no, you know, I'm not joking. I think this movie is kind of doomed. Mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. the thing like? Yeah, tell, tell us what you think. Yeah, tell us. Your are, thoughts on you, you're saying like, is this the the like big thing Marvel needs to like make us all care about the MCU again yeah, or superhero yeah, yeah. movies? And I'm like, unless this is like a James Gunn level Guardians surprise mm-hmm. of like, holy shit, I have never seen this sort of thing before mm-hmm. i don't i don't know how it could be anything else but jeff you're the big fantastic four fan like how do you feel about yeah this? what do you what do you think jeff how are you feeling you about think it it's doomed and that's the thing 
That's but the thing. I think it's going to its be prospects fantastic. are invisible. And yeah. anybody that flames on this movie uh, is invisible to me. Uh huh. Uh huh. Sue, Sue Storm. Okay. Anyway, nobody, yeah. nobody, Kanata's <laughs> like Kanata. Um, nice, nice, nicely done. Uh, anyway, uh, I do think it is a bummer that this uh, franchise has been on the big screen so many times before and so badly done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I am going to remain Pollyanna here and hold out hope that Feige and crew have a secret sauce that's going to make it work because Fantastic Four is one of my favorite comic books, one of my favorite uh, fictional character groups. (laughs) I just have adored the Fantastic Four for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. And I've always wanted the movies to work and I've always felt like there was a way for the movies to work. I don't think... There is something inherent about the Fantastic Four that that they can't be made. On. You know, you can make a, a good Ant Man movie, you can mm-hmm. make a good Fantastic Four movie. You know what well, I'm saying? What's right. funny is that uh, basically every decade now uh, on the fives. In 2005, we got Tim Story's Fantastic Four. In 2015, we got the uh, the other one, and now 2025, we have this it's one. Like coming. A, so it's this Josh is just Trank. how it is. Josh Trank. Like gonna, Josh Trank. Like we're just going to reboot the series every 10 years. Yeah, so that's just what we're going to do. That returns every 10 yeah. years. Every mm-hmm. decade, you see the Fantastic Four comet. Well, yeah. well, because before too, the Fantastic Four was owned by Fox, and they had that clause that like once every X years they need to make a movie, or else the rights yes. revert back to Marvel. There was a 1994 now, movie too. Yes. Yeah. That was all. I remember watching that as a kid. Good yeah. God! Now they don't need to do that because Fox is owned by Disney, so they they don't need uh-huh, to, they don't uh-huh. need to worry about those rights anymore. There That's is true. nothing motivating this other than the downfall of the MCU, other than sheer uh, desperation. I yeah. think the casting is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'm really looking forward to seeing how they do this. I hope it is. I mean, I really I wanted a period. Uh, Fantastic Four movie for a long time. It's hard to do that in the context of the MCU if you're hoping these characters are the backbone of something longer lasting. But um, I would love it to be a, a, a period piece. I mean, there's time travel already. Mm-hmm. Uh, and certainly Mr. Fantastic has been, uh, in the comics, has been a person who has great technology that can time travel and go into other dimensions. So it could start in the 60s and they could show up in our present day. There's a, a, a bunch of things they could do. But um I really, I really, really want this movie to be fantastic. Uh, to be, to be, <laughs> to be wonderful. I mean, <laughs> it's coming good. from the One Division director Matt Shackman. One yeah. of the writers is Josh Friedman, who I have always loved because he did the Sarah Connor Chronicles and has done, you know, a bunch of stuff. He he co-wrote Avatar: The Way of Water too. So it has good people, but it's also like, what does the MCU need? Is like something new, something fresh. I feel like we will not get that jolt of new life until. Until the gods decree a new Wolverine, a new mm. Wolverine <laughs> cast member, like Wolverine, mm-hmm. everything always revolves around Wolverine, you know, in the X-Men. Mm-hmm. And uh, listen, the, the signs are right there. We're going to get more X-Men stuff soon. Uh, maybe Hugh Jackman will literally pass the claws to somebody in this mm. Deadpool movie. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see. But I feel like that would be that would be part of the exciting factor, at least for me. But I, I don't know about general audiences at this point. Yeah, I will say that the announcement of the cast took took place on Instagram. Marvel mm-hmm. posted an Instagram on Valentine's Day saying, Happy Valentine's Day. Here's the new cast of Fantastic Four. <laughs> and it's a very retro yeah, looking Valentine's Day card. It's like mm-hmm. a yeah. 60s Valentine's yep. you know, and uh I, I think that actually is a really good uh sign that this yes. is gonna be something that's fun, that's lighthearted, you know, that's not yep. super self-serious, and that matches with Matt Shackman's work 
in sure. the MCU, you know? Sure. So, uh, uh, injected into my veins. If that's the case, if it's like, a, got like an art deco, yeah, you know, right. kind <laughs> of, uh, uh, there's a, there's a bit of silly in it. I, and you know, they're supposedly looking at cast Herbie, uh, the, the robot assistant as a, a comedian to play that. So if I think you gotta, you, if you got the robot in there, I, come well, on. Yeah. I mean, I think that having the robot at all mm-hmm. is kind of a sign that they're embracing some of the goofy right. aspects of these characters. And I think, I think that's a good thing. I do yep. think that's yes. a good thing. So it, it's something kind of fresh and new for the MCU or not. Mm-hmm. It, I, I, obviously some of the MCU stuff has taken place in the past, but not that much of it. And I mm-hmm. think uh, this could, this could be a breath of fresh air, but uh, yeah, I think, this is going to be one of Marvel's next big moments, and I am really curious if it will succeed. Mm-hmm. I think there's a huge potential, but we also just don't know if people will have lost interest by then. We, you know? we are like, so tired. We are all <laughs> just so tired, guys, and well, Marvel has not done much to like excite I mean, us lately. It, with, if you want to really go down the rabbit hole of, mm-hmm. of speculation, you know, with the Jonathan Majors thing kind of pulling the rug mm-hmm. out from under Kang, um, this could set up Doom as being, this right. could be the seed for how Doom sure. becomes the next big major, you know, uh, universe spanning villain for mm-hmm. multiple films. Uh, who would you guys like to see be Dr. Doom at this point? Mm. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, that is, that is like, that is like going to be key to this movie too. Like who ends up being the villain. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's, let's look at screen rants article for 10 actors who would be perfect for the MCU's Doctor Doom. I'll just list them, see if you guys mm-hmm. like any of these. Uh, Penn Badgley, uh, Coleman Domingo, Dan oh. Dan Stevens, Billy Crudup, Michael Fassbender, Mads Mikkelsen, Nikolai Coster-Waldo, John Hamm, Killian Murphy, and Andrew Lincoln from Walking Dead. John those, Hamm would be really fun. Those are their choices. That would be a really fun Doctor Doom. But yeah, I don't know that could be what cool. You think, Jeff? Yeah, could be cool. Uh, I, you know, I my big problem with uh, the uh, Fargo season was that John uh, John Hamm John Hamm yes. didn't bring enough menace for me. Yeah, uh, I so, thought he was wonderful. By the true. way, but yeah. I know I know everybody did. Um, uh, it depends how they want to do. I mean, I I don't understand. I don't right. Like, do they want it to be like grounded or like mm-hmm. over the top? Right. Like, like well, just well, don't the, don't make it Giancarlo Esposito. I'm, I feel like everybody is like, oh, villain. <laughs> Let's get Giancarlo back. I'm like, no, <laughs> let that guy have a break. Give that guy a rom com, please. We have other people who can be villains. I don't love any of these ten picks personally. I mean, I know Doom is a contemporary to mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Fantastic, right? They went to school together. So the, the idea of if they're playing it that way, you know, it's got to be a contemporary to Pedro Pascal uh, in some way. And I think, mm. you know, yeah. Javier young, Bardem. I mean, Javier Bardem would be pretty great. He, yeah, he was that great. Would be, that would he be was great. great in Skyfall. Like he's great and menacing there. Um, I like the idea of Mads, but Mads was already a Marvel villain and like very much mm. it was his face. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Unless they, he was, I mean, he was Doctor Doom all along. Fastbender's yeah. Magneto can't. He can't do Fastbender. Come on. People have played mm-hmm. multiple characters in MCU before, but it's yes. it's rare. It's yes. not. It's usually not main characters. Um, you know this uh, this uh, announcement happened around the time that the Hollywood Reporter published an article called "How Marvel Is Quietly Retooling Amid Superhero Fatigue." 
Uh, not much new news in this piece. There, you know, it, it mentions that there is a trailer for X Men '97 mm-hmm. that came out recently, which is a revival of the '90s cartoon that debuts in March. Looks That's fun. kind of exciting. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but the t- a couple of the big uh, pieces of information that came out of this are, uh, first of all, that the company completed reshoots for Agatha Darkhold Diaries, finally a show that feels like it's been in Ugh. production hell for quite a while. That's supposed to be hitting Disney Plus this fall. Um, Eric Person has been hired to polish the script for Fantastic Four, which will shoot this summer. Uh, Eric Person worked on Thor Ragnarok and Black Widow and has a very good reputation for getting Mm -hmm. projects over the finish line. And also Joanna Callow, who is the showrunner of The Bear, worked on the script for Thunderbolts, uh, which will begin shooting in March in Atlanta. That also feels like a movie we will never actually see. But I think, well, you know, according to this, I think it's, yeah, yeah. it's on a decent track, but I'll also keep an eye out for Julia Louis-Dreyfus around the neighborhood. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and also, Jeff, as you kind of alluded to, the big news from this is that, uh, quote, the first of the new Avengers movies due out in 2026 was initially titled Avengers the Kang Dynasty, mm-hmm. but will be getting a new title to remove the character's names. Though sources say that even before Major's conviction, the studio was making moves to minimize the character after Quantumania underperformed. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. so no more... Kang Dynasty. I I remember. I'm old enough to remember when Feige would get up on stage and announce like the full slate of like here's yeah, the yeah, next yeah. 18 movies we're gonna make, and everyone else would cower in fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now a lot of those it's plans are time. falling have fallen apart. Like the TV plans have not gone according to schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, Kang Dynasty is not going to happen. So there, there um, were rumors that Coleman Domingo may end up taking over the role. You know, maybe in a lesser, mm, lesser yeah. fashion. And he would be a good one because, first of all, love his voice, and he can sound menacing when he wants. Yeah, he's to. awesome. He's yeah. uh, he was also shockingly in the movie that we're reviewing today. Yes. I did not know that he yes, was. In he that, was. So, yeah. Jeff, uh, so Comic Book Resources has some ideas for Doom casting that I think are great. All right. Mm. And I don't want to lay them on you. Christoph yeah. Waltz. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty okay. darn good. Ben Mendelsohn. Mm-hmm. Very, okay. very good. Uh, um, uh, where is it? Uh, this, oh, check this one out. Viggo Mortensen. Mm. Ooh. Right? That. And, and that. here's my favorite of their picks. Hugh Laurie. No, I no, love a good. You. I love a good out of the box pick. I love a good out of the box pick. I love Hugh Laurie, but no. Oh, Sorry, dude, Vigo in like chew the, it up. He would, <laughs> but I I don't know. Hugh, but Vigo in like Crimes of the Future, yeah. just like yeah. He, I feel like he, Vigo would never say yes to that because I feel like he's over he all that stuff. But yeah. man, yeah. he would be good. That would be the good. That would be like a Daniel Day Lewis level get for them if they yeah. did that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, those are a few of our thoughts on all this Marvel and Fantastic Four news. Godspeed, Kevin Feige. We hope you are able to get this one over the finish line in a good way. Good luck on your next billions. Yep. Let's take a quick break for a sponsor. We'll be back with more film news right after this. This episode of the Filmcast is brought to you by Factor. I don't have time to cook during the day. I'm a busy person. I have things to do. I have video games to play. I have movies to watch. Who has time? Well, Factor is here to save the day. They have delicious, ready-to-eat meals, which make eating better easy every day. Whatever you're doing, be ready with pre-prepared 
chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals that are delivered right to your door. You'll have over 35 different options every week to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more. There's even more to enjoy with over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. My wife told me about Factor, and we've been hooked on its combination of ease and deliciousness, these meals are really good. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Two-minute meals, snacks, smoothies, and more. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. It's flexible to your schedule. You can get as little or as much as you need by choosing six to 18 meals per week. And you can always pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. No prep, no mess meals. They are hundred percent ready to heat and eat. So there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Head to factormeals.com slash filmcast50 and use code FILMCAST50 to get 50% off. That's code F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T-5-0 at factormeals.com slash FILMCAST50 to get 50% off. All right. Uh, other big items were announced. I'm reading now from The Guardian. Uh, Sam Mendes, the Oscar-winning director of two of the most successful ever James Bond films, is to tackle another multi-billion-pound uh, British cultural institution, The Beatles. The director has announced he will make four separate fiction films, Good one God. for each member of the band. The project has the blessing of Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr and the families of John Lennon and George Harrison. It marks the first time they and rights holder Apple have granted full life story and music rights for a scripted film. How cool is that? It's like the Avengers of music. It is, but it feels like Sam Mendes getting a little greedy, right? You're like, <laughs> oh, full rights open. Oh, really? Full rights, you say? He, he explained, all Mendes yeah. explained that the four films will all be released in 2027. Insanity. And wow. tell interconnected stories, one from each so uh, band member's point it's of a, view. It's, it's a TV, it's a TV series. series. Yeah. <laughs> it's a TV series. Yeah, and, but my sense is these are getting theatrical releases, is my guess. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, Jeff Canada is Jeff Canada the biggest Beatles fans on the podcast, right? Is my guess. Yes, right? I, I'd assume. So, so yeah, Jeff, I'm, I'm a huge Beatles fan. Yeah. So Jeff, okay. what what did you make of this news when you first heard it? I think this is awesome. I mean, I love Sam Mendes. He's had some misfires, certainly, but uh, an incredible filmmaker, and clearly seems to love the Beatles. <laughs> and uh, you know, I I think this could be really cool. Uh, and uh, you know, I I. I it's interesting to me why you would do four movies because so much of their lives are they're mm -hmm. in the same place at the same time. So like do each of those movies look at the same events from different perspectives. Right. Um, obviously there's before and after and the after for each of the characters is probably much more interesting in their own distinctive movies. Like, mm -hmm. you know, George Harrison going off and living his life after, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously, you know, the drama for Lennon. And, um, I, you know, I think, I think the, the post Beatles lives, uh, in individual movies will be fascinating pre Beatles. They're so young, it, you know, it's, they met as, as kids. Um, and then the Beatles time, like they're all in the same place at the same time. So how do you, yeah, how do you how do four work? movies? Yeah. Um, 
But I'm like how, fascinated. How, how, how different are their lives during that time period? Which or do you have you know, one, does one yeah. movie cover that stuff and the other movies just sort of reference? Right, I don't know. Right. You yeah, know? Yeah. Do it I by think, year. I, don't I think know. that's the most interesting part about this is um, he says, quote, the dating cadence. That's the phrase. The dating cadence of the films will be innovative and groundbreaking, end quote. Uh, okay. I, I have no it. idea what that means, but I think that's you – know, I – notoriously hate musical biopics. I think uh-huh. they're all extremely formulaic. He, he just like, he threatened you with four at the same time. Right. This that's is, right. That's right. this is um, the villainous work. Yeah. But that to me, that to me is one of the more, I mean, first of all, it's, it's inherently interesting to have a Beatles film that actually uses their music. That's like mm-hmm. relatively rare. Um, and, and life rights, you know, and according to this, it's never happened. There have been other biopics, but never like in, of this scale and with all the four Beatles and everything. Um, but yes, I, that's the thing that's most I'm most curious about, Jeff, is how are they going to interweave mm-hmm. the four films? How are they going to reference each other? I think that could genuinely be like an interesting thing to have happen. And Sam Mendes, you know, yeah, as, as you said, ha- has had some stinkers, but uh, overall, very talented guy. So good, uh, I, I, good, yeah, yeah, good talent. They will look gorgeous, like no yeah. matter what they are. I don't care at all about Get the some Beatles. Roger Deakins on Get that some Ro- action. You, you know? know, somebody, somebody at that level. But I think Bill Ibiri put this best. I don't know if you guys saw this tweet, but uh, he said, I don't think the Sam Mendes Beatles films will happen because I suspect Peter Jackson will kill him first. <laughs> and this is true. This is Maybe probably they can team true. up. Maybe they can uh, partner oh up. Oh my gosh. Uh, did you guys see this uh, Billy Wilder's Steven Spielberg post that went viral recently? No. Uh, there was like this heart, I, I read this heartbreaking um So Hollywood Reporter recently published a um, uh, oral history of Schindler's List, Mm -hmm. right? Steven Spielberg's Schindler's List. Um, And he, uh, so this is from the Hollywood Reporter's oral history where uh, Billy Wilder basically wanted to make Schindler's List. Um, He says, um, I'm going to read here. This is Steven Spielberg's uh, words Mm -hmm. from the Mm -hmm. Hollywood Reporter. He says, Billy Wilder called me at the office and said, I need to see you. It's very important. I said, okay, I'll come over to your house. He said, no, I need to come to you because I'm going to ask you for something. So he came over to Amblin and up to my office and he said, I just read a book and I found out you own it. Schindler's List. This is my experience before I came to America. I lost everyone over there. I need to tell this story. I hear you own the rights. Will you let me direct this and you can produce it with me? And I didn't know what to say except to tell him the truth. I said, Billy... I'm leaving for Krakow in three weeks. The whole film's been cast. All the crew's been hired. Ugh. I start shooting at the end of February. Billy couldn't speak, and then I couldn't speak. And I just reached my hand out, and Billy took my hand, end quote. Oh, that is really, wow. yeah. something. Heartbreaking, you know? Heartbreaking. Yeah. But also, like, uh, the, you know, the movie is, remains a tremendous film, you know? And, and I'm glad but that I can, that I can imagine, like, what Billy Wilder, also with a lot of his own personal experience, you know, yeah. a, a titan of cinema, telling the story at a, you know in his in his golden age like that would have been something well what's also heartbreaking is he says he's spielberg quotes billy wilder he says quote i just cannot get a film off the ground anymore what mm-hmm. whatever worked for me for 30 years is not working anymore the humor is different uh end quote <laughs> and, and so it's just like yeah, yeah billy wilder one of the greatest filmmakers of all time you know everything's and, different go watch double indemnity people like yeah Anyway. I wonder. It's it's a shame that 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 anecdote is not followed up with. Uh, and then I showed him the finished movie a year later, mm-hmm. and he said this because I, I can only imagine that 
Uh, with... he, he did. It, that isn't the. That isn't the. Oh, okay. It, it, well, he he does. He does say that uh, Wilder Gush. They got the best. They couldn't have gotten a better man. The movie is absolutely yeah. perfection. And that's what I think. That, yeah. I think that's the happy ending. There is yeah. that. Yeah. He made a great movie, and yeah. Billy Wilder wanted to make a great movie, and so they're, you know, mm-hmm. their fortunes were aligned. What a story, though, man. What a what story. A story. Yeah. Um, but anyway, and, well, back yeah. to the Beatles thing, just yeah, briefly. Um, you know, we just. We just uh, fantasy cast Doctor Doom. I, I, I'm tempted to fantasy, fantasy cast the Beatles, but what I would want is all unknowns. Mm-hmm. I want them to cast Love all yeah. unknowns, it, it, kids who can sing, yeah, and uh, and that we don't already know from other things. I think that would be that would be the best move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I I agree. I, I, you know, it kind of reminds me a little bit of like. Uh, you know, the approach that Spielberg took with West Side Story, you know, like there was a bunch of not household names in that movie. Yeah. And like Mike Feist, I thought was amazing. Mm-hmm. He, he's not like necessarily an unknown, but he's kind of not a household name. And I think that would be like very powerful for something yeah. like this. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, four Beatles movies coming in 2027. Mm-hmm. You know, Paul Mescal is going to be one of them. <laughs> put, put money in the bank right there very possibly yeah. all right we'll see we'll see but yeah no cast has been announced mm-hmm. at this time so uh we will see what happens finally i wanted to mention this uh jurassic world a there's going to be a new jurassic world movie b the director of the new jurassic world movie is gareth edwards okay finally justice this uh this story at the hollywood reporter is like such a backhanded <laughs> reference to to Gareth Edwards because first of all I don't mm-hmm. know if you guys are aware but David Litch who was one of the directors of John Wick he was originally going to make the new Jurassic World movie mm-hmm. uh, for but then it says quote days later the two sides parted ways it yeah. became clear that uh, to Litch that his creative input would be minimal due to the project's fast track status and because the producers wanted to wield a stronger hand after uh. the experience of Jurassic World Dominion. Well, they didn't want martial arts velociraptors, you know, like doing gunfights uh, well, everywhere. Maybe uh, here's what I'm going to say, Devinder. Maybe they wanted a movie to be about dinosaurs. I'm just going to mm. put that about there, you know, like. But maybe it, velociraptors <laughs> doing martial arts. Yeah. How about that? It, like, it, like stuntmen. You I'm know, simply because... saying it would have been nice if Jurassic World Dominion's main plot had to do with <laughs> dinosaurs in some way. That would have been awesome. That would have been something. But um, wait, so what about prehistoric <laughs> insects? What about them? Uh, this would have minimized the participation of his producing partner and wife, Kelly McCormick. The new Jurassic was already in several drafts in with a script written by David Kep. Mm-hmm. Um, so after Lich fell off, the studio and producers put on their safari hats to wade into the jungles of Hollywood to find a filmmaker who was... I hate ex- that sentence. Who what was the ex- hell? Experience, what the hell was that? Ex- hey, let's take it easy. It's Boris Kitred, uh, who is experienced with big studio productions, who would accept the role would be more shooter than auteur, and oh yeah, had to be available quickly as they're going to uh, commence production in June. Uh, Universal had a very short list, but Edwards quickly rose to the top, end quote. So... That that is a pretty kind of like okay he's he can take orders um he is, can manage like a big budget and he's available well it's you more know, like what, uh, who really understands for. giant lizards it's we true. really need to who among us you know really gets can get into the brain of a giant skyscraper sized I don't know. <laughs> Lizard. So this is perfect. This is perfect for Gareth Edwards. I I, I think Gareth uh, Gareth Edwards has the potential to do a really great job mm-hmm, on this movie, mm-hmm. and he's shown that he can step in uh, into a uh, a production that is 
off of an existing franchise, right? He did it for Godzilla. He did it for Rogue One. Uh, and, and obviously there is a very, you know, um, challenging story about the production of Rogue One that has already been told. But, you know, he nonetheless deserves a lot of credit for for making that film. He is still the named director on the film. For sure. Uh, I didn't like the creator, but that was, you know, that was a good swing. And the creator was awesome, guys, despite what everyone else in this podcast uh, thinks. <laughs> I mean, listen, uh, one way to get me excited about another Jurassic World movie is not to have Colin Trevorrow directing again. So, that okay, this in is and of good. Itself, that in and of itself is going to be huge. You know? It's good. So I'm I just, excited. I that. have very little hope that this movie is going to be any good at all. But yeah. I mean, you know. My understanding, pretty, my understanding is that it's Colin Trevorrow's, uh, it, it was his decision to make Jurassic World Dominion be about ancient insects this you know? is what we and, heard there was a spielberg anecdote when we were right. reviewing that movie yeah, yeah yeah so so i think it was his decision and so it, basically he has made a lot of the terrible decisions around jurassic world and i think uh having a new new blood in there might might actually this could actually be the one time where studio interference actually benefits a franchise mm-hmm. i think but we'll see we'll see uh so gareth edwards exciting uh to have him back also july 2nd 2025 that Good is the, really the movie is not even shooting right now. July second, twenty twenty five is when that movie's all come good out. sign, right? Yeah, yeah, great, yeah. great. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be great. All right. Anyway, those are a few pieces of film news from the last couple weeks. Lots going on in the world of Hollywood. We're trying to cover it all here on the Filmcast. Let's get to what we've been watching this week. Devendra Hardwar. Let's start with you. I'm really curious what you thought about what you're watching this week. Sure. I've been checking out the new uh, adaptation of Avatar The Last Airbender on Netflix. I've seen a couple episodes so far. and uh, Okay, sorry. Before yeah. you even yeah, get yeah. into this, Devendra, yes. I, I need to say that I, I remember one of my core memories of the podcast mm-hmm. is Devendra Hardware getting to interview M. Night Shyamalan. Yes. Uh, after you know, uh, for the press tour for the last Airbender, and I am. It was one of the first big interviews I did when right. I was at Slash One, but also when I had just moved to New York. So yeah, yeah. I was very excited. I was very excited for you. You know, I was like, oh my gosh, Devendra got to talk to M Night Shyamalan. I talked to M Night Shyamalan. The, the he played Spielberg. with my iPhone. I yeah. like handed. He was like, can I take a look at that? And he looked at my. He picked up my iPhone. Yeah. He finally new- was like, it's amazing. The man at some point who was deemed to be a successor to Steven Spielberg, you know, like mm-hmm. this is a guy who I was like, and Steve, uh, Devendra got to talk to him. And then uh, I talked to him after seeing the movie, by the way. So yeah, that is the whole, I, like he crushed my dreams. And then I went to see him in person. Yeah. And I remember talking to you after I was like, Hey, how did the M night interview go? You're like, Oh, it went well, but the movie's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And not only that Devendra, but I, I think there was a lot of wrecked hopes that this would be the only opportunity people would have mm-hmm. yeah. to see a live action adaptation of Avatar The Last Ever. Because it's like, hey, they're never going to make another one of these again. You yeah. know? It's yeah, not but- like anybody throws a lot of money at TV series, right? <laughs> to to produce like live action fantasy. Uh, right. We'll never see it again. And yeah, so- and mm-hmm. yeah I mean, going into this, uh, as fans of, of the, you know, huge fans of the cartoon, mm-hmm. We were like, this is the perfect pairing of great filmmaker and incredible material. Nothing They're going to be wrong. able to make four movies. It's going to elevate this IP into the stratosphere. There's no way this can go wrong. No way. Yeah. I remember thinking that. Oh, yeah. man. But it's it also like there's every way. Yeah. It was also like, I think, inconceivable that, you know, the studio would let the rights lapse or go to someone else and that another studio. Uh, would pour tens of millions of dollars into another adaptation after that one tanked so disastrously. 
Indeed. But, but we the world have, is very different now, isn't it? We could not it? have foreseen the streaming era, and now Netflix has a new live-action adaptation of The Last Airbender. Devendra, what do you think of it? Well, let me also just say, if we're setting up context here, so this show originally had the the creators of Avatar The Last Airbender involved too, and I believe a couple of years ago, they stepped away due to creative differences. And I think the sheer spite from this project uh, is what pushed them to create Avatar Studios. Uh, they went over to Nickelodeon and was just like, hey, this this is your property. Can we can we do some stuff? And uh, they are pitching like they have some more movies coming. They have a yeah. post core series coming. They have like really interesting ideas of how to expand the universe. Meanwhile, Netflix is just like let's tell the story again. Okay, let's just do Avatar: The Last Airbender. That the entire series. Let's just do that again with human beings. Mm-hmm. And I'm here to tell you, it's not terrible. I don't think it's bad. Mm-hmm. But it is, it feels like capital C content to me in the way that mm. it is just stuff for you to watch. It is not badly told. I like the kid actors. I like that this series actually tries to, you know, follow the racial dynamics that were introduced in the original series too. One of the most disappointing questions, you know, or answers I got from Shyamalan, I, I asked him about like, it is very weird that most of this cast is white when the show was kind of unique for being like, Hey, these people are from the equivalent of the South pole. Uh, there, there are Inuit looking folks, uh, Brown characters, Asian characters, uh, highlighted. And that was not the case in his movie. And his response was like, Oh yeah. Kids don't really see color, you know? Uh-huh. And it was like, yeah, my daughter looks at Katara and she, she doesn't really notice that she looks like her. And if I had an hour with M night Shyamalan, <laughs> I would just like sit and like, dude, don't don't kid yourself. Like this stuff actually does matter, even if he wasn't aware of it. So anyway, the the actual dynamics are good. I I think the main cast here are pretty good. Even the the actor who plays Ang, Daniel Day Kim, is in this as Fire Lord Ozai. Um, it looks and feels like a high quality television show. The special effects are great. The martial arts are pretty good, but it feels like like I don't know why it exists. Is the thing like it is just telling you the Avatar story again, which was perfectly told in the in the animated series it condenses it down to far fewer episodes and it has to remove a lot of plot lines and extraneous you know one-off stories and things like that to to kind of get there but it is just boiling down that same story over again and not introducing anything new so in that way i think it's a disappointment you know it also kind of reshapes the way the story is told um just narratively, it kind of starts at the beginning with things that are told in flashback, um, you know, later on in the series. Uh, that's just a different choice. But to me, it feels like a dumbing down choice, you know, like to get action right in the very first scene to kind of set these things up so the Netflix audience doesn't get too bored too quickly. Um, I feel like those compromises are there. It's not terrible, but if you like the animated series, I think it's a little heartbreaking because there's just nothing new here. But at least it's not the the Shyamalan movie. Um, so I guess there's that. It just feels like content that is just there. I will say though, the one good thing we got from the Shaman movie was the James Newton Howard score, yeah. which is something I still listen to occasionally because it is, it is good. It is so good. And that's actually one thing the TV show doesn't do well. It feels like generic, you know, uh, you know, action movie bombast stuff. Um, Jeff, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts and how your kids react to this because my kids also love Avatar and I don't think we'll be watching this. It's a little mm. too violent too. Hmm. Well, this is how you know that we're recording early this week uh-huh. is because uh, we haven't watched it yet. I mean, we've been counting down the days. My my son had uh, had a basketball practice last night, so we weren't mm-hmm. able to watch it. It came out yesterday. 
Uh, everybody was excited, but he had basketball practice. And so we didn't get a chance to watch it. And here we are recording this morning. So we will probably be watching it, uh, tonight, tomorrow, the weekend. Um, so I will, I will report back what we think, but the, the family is very, very, very excited to mm-hmm. check out the live action version. Having I'm, I'm just definitely more excited the- about the future shows coming from the actual creators. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, I remember when the Last of Us series, TV series, was being created. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it was Craig Mazin talking to uh, what's his name, Neil Druckmann, right? And, yep. and said something like, "Hey, uh, Last of Us, amazing video game. You know, uh, one of the great video games of all time. One of the great video game stories of all time. There are millions of people that are just never going to experience the Last of Us story because it requires picking up a controller, right? Like." That that is a fact mm-hmm. of life, mm-hmm. and so why not bring them that story in another form? Hence, the Last of Us television show was born. I guess the idea behind this, Devendra, one of the ideas is, hey, there, there's a, a lot of people that just will not watch animation. To which do- I say, okay, fine, you don't deserve it. <laughs> that okay, that's your choice. You're the one choosing, you know, not to do it. And I have talked to people like this. Who may yeah. end up watching the live action because of that? So okay, the, fine. You know, the question is whether this can bring new people into the franchise. And based on the fact that it is currently the number one TV sure. show on Netflix, yes, it does seem like it. This will this is why do they job. Yeah, they have the numbers, and I yeah. think they probably know that people are watching after our last Airbender over and over again. Like my daughter, like we've gone through the series so many freaking times that and Cora, and Netflix has this data, and they're like, what if what if we had our own little Airbender? You know, what if those views were just like for us rather <laughs> mm-hmm. than paying licensing fees to to Nickelodeon or something, yeah. which I still kind of have to do for this. But I feel like that's it. This was made because they saw how popular it was and they just needed more Avatar content. That's what I, I mean, you could you could say why adapt anything, right? It's like, sure, sure. Well, you don't deserve it. It was a book. Go read the novel. Uh, it's, go. You, you don't could des- say that, except this this in this case, Jeff. The original show, as you know, is available one click away on <laughs> right. the very same service where this ser- where this show is. Right, because so, it's, yeah. it's like yeah. fundamentally the same it. fo- uh, format it's, or medium. Yeah. Obviously, well, this it's in four by three. Yeah. It's in four by three. The old <laughs> oh, stuff, you know, mm, can't have that yeah. anymore. It's complete garbage. Yeah, complete basically, garbage. it's dog shit compared to the new uh, yeah. high def Dolby Atmos you can get on. I mean, uh, I, I can understand. Like Netflix. Netflix has also done Yu Yu Hakusho. They've done a bunch of anime adaptations, like One Piece, and those are older anime shows that are, you know, best watched in Japanese, you know? So in that case, maybe having a live action English adaptation would work better. Um, I don't know the case here other than, Hey, the algorithm wants content. Let's please feed the algorithm. Please feed the algorithm before it destroys us all. I mean, having not watched any of this, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I can't imagine they retain the silliness of the cartoon. There's not much of it. It doesn't have to like it doesn't have time, which is funny because, you know, the original series are like, you know, 24, 22 minute episodes and it's a whole bunch of them. I think the actual runtime is about the same. But because Netflix is building up a dramatic TV series, it's meant to be like, you know, it, it's kid fantasy. Yeah. They're hour long episodes like they're, they're, the momentum of it doesn't really leave room for like standalone episodes where they just are silly for a while or like where one bottle episode can tell Ang so much about his past everything kind of has to be weaved together in a way that feels very, it just doesn't feel as distinctive as the original felt to me. It feels very generic. Well, I'm curious to check it out myself. I have, yeah, I'm, I'll be curious I'm to hear your thoughts. Yeah, yeah. 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 Be curious to hear your thoughts. Anyway, uh, those are some thoughts on the last airbender live action adaptation streaming right now on Netflix. 
Let's take another break for a sponsor. We'll be back with more of what we've been watching right after this. All right, Jeff Kanata, hit us up with something you've been watching this week. Well, I have not had a chance to yet watch Avatar The Last Airbender on Netflix, but I have had a chance to take in two of maybe my favorite things, certainly my favorite things of this young year, and two things that will likely be contenders for my top 10 at the end of this year. I have some awesome stuff to share. Oh, this wow. Week. We'll start with the first. Uh, I want to thank, oh, I didn't bring hold up, pull up the email. We got an email from somebody uh, telling me, telling us about this. Where is it? Um, I'll find it. I'll find it. Jeff. Thank just, you. Just, just thank you. I, yeah. I should have prepped and I did not. Uh, we were all fans. I, certainly, oh, I Ryan, was Ryan. Ryan is the one who wrote Okay, Ryan. 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 Thank you, Ryan. Slash from Kessagemail.com. Yeah. For writing into us. Uh, I was unaware of this, but uh, if you recall, uh, a few years ago, uh, a movie by the name of Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes mm-hmm. made my top 10 of the year. I'm not sure if it made anybody else's. I certainly loved it. It was this uh, very charming, uh, low-budget sci-fi movie. Yeah. Uh, about uh, a TV set that will show you two minutes in the future. Yeah. And uh, it and is. Thanks to uh, Dan Kvostin who gave, gave us that recommendation. That's right. Dan did yep. recommend yep. that originally to us. I fell in love with that movie. It remains uh, among my favorite science fiction movies. Uh, it is. Um, uh, if you have not watched Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes, rectify that immediately. What? It's such a delightful movie. I loved it. Innovative. Uh, making a lot with a little. Well, I'm here it's to on tell Prime you. Prime Video, by the way, right now. Prime Video. So, yes. Yep. Uh, the director, uh, Yunta Yamaguchi, uh, has another movie, and Ryan was so kind to email us and let us know this was the case. I, uh, completely unaware, this came out in, evidently in 2023, but I'm going to co opt it for my 2024 list because I, I suspect it's going to make an appearance at the end of the year or certainly. Uh, certainly among my favorite movies I've watched uh, so far in 2024. Um, it is entitled River. It could have been entitled Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes. Uh, actually, okay. more appropriate title for this movie than Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes. Mm. Um, have you guys, either of you guys checked this out yet? Nope. Not oh, yet. Okay. But I'm looking forward to it. Cannot recommend it higher. I love this movie. It is an hour 26 minutes. It is brilliant. Uh, I w- want to give anybody who's listening a chance to go into this completely blind. Take my word for it. If you love innovative science fiction ideas and concepts, things you've never seen before, done with such uh, such innovation, such such cleverness, uh, s- such ingenuity. Go do yourself a favor, rent River now. It's on uh, Amazon Prime and Apple, I think for like four bucks. Rent it. You will have a a delightful time. Now, if you don't want to hear anything more, skip forward a couple minutes. I'm not going to spoil this movie, but I'm going to mention the premise because I think the premise is genius. The premise to River is what if Groundhog Day Okay, so you know how Groundhog Day and 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 the movies in that subgenre mm-hmm. are about uh, a person reliving the same day over and over again mm-hmm. and becoming aware of it. 
mm-hmm. they're the only one aware of it. And they have this magical power because they, they are aware that they are living the same day over and over again. And then um, Palm Springs was like, hey, what if uh, two people were aware of it? You know, and that was pretty, pretty clever, pretty clever innovation on that idea. River says, what if Groundhog Day, but everybody is aware of it. Mm. Everybody is aware of it, which is a genius idea, but how do you make it work? Well, brilliantly, the solution is you have to make it it not a, a whole day that they're reliving, but a short enough time period where they can't actually accomplish anything. Because once you get into a situation where everybody is reliving the same period of time, but you can't actually affect any change, what happens? It is brilliant. It So basically the, the notion here is my conscience, my consciousness, my awareness persists through the time loop, but everything else is reset. My position, anything I create or do, everything else is reset back to, you know, like a groundhog day. You wake up and the alarm is still going off. You, you know, the the clothes you're still wearing that day are still on. The food you ate is still in the refrigerator. Everything is reset back to what it was, except you are aware that of, of everything that has happened before. And so is everyone else in this world. So is everyone else. Which means you can get up to a certain point. What is so brilliant about this movie is like people will get into an argument and they'll be arguing and the time loop will reset. And so they'll have to run back to meet each other again to continue their argument. It's, that is just a tiny, tiny, tiny example of the chaos and new, the new paradigm that this movie presents is like, what if this was happening? Everybody was aware of it. You have a finite period of time to do anything before stuff gets reset. But we all know, we all remember everything that's happened. Oh, I I won't say more. I, I will. The only thing else I will say is that I don't think the very, very end of this movie is as satisfying as I would have hoped. But it it doesn't matter because the journey is so much fun and so smart and so they do, they make so much with so little. Again, everything is so well communicated, so well executed. I think this filmmaker. I I, I didn't think this filmmaker could could outdo Beyond the Infinite two minutes because I just thought that was such a smart, fun. Uh, original idea. And this is like one ups it to me in almost every way. It is brilliant. I loved river and I, I, it's a bummer to me that the movie has such a, a bad SEO title Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. there's a million river things that you're going to have to sift through. Uh, But look for, uh, I think it's Junta or Junta Yamaguchi. J U N T A Yamaguchi is the name of the director. Yeah. Junta. Yep. Very cool, Jeff. I'm going to check this one out. River. Yeah, I, I can't wait to talk about it more with you guys. In fact, yeah. I hope we can do an After Dark where we can mm-hmm. dig into it because the details of... It, it is one of those movies, like a great Groundhog Day movie, the fun is the snowball down the hill mm-hmm. of how like it, it, it 
it adds like Lego bricks more and more. You, you, you've been through it now this many times. And so now we have all this established, uh, shared knowledge about the world and the people and all the stuff. And so it can keep building and just spiraling off into these incredible, uh, moments. It is, it's so good. It's so smart. I loved it. That's River. You can rent or buy it right now on streaming services. All right, folks. I wanted to talk about a movie I saw this week. Uh, I rewatched Paul Verhoeven's Starship Troopers. This movie has been in the popular consciousness for a couple mm-hmm. reasons. First of all, there is a massively successful game right now on PlayStation and PC called Hell Divers 2. Uh, Jeff Knada and I have, have played some. I've probably put in, I'm guessing, like... 20 hours into this game in the last like two weeks. The game just came out. It is enormously fun. It's like super fun. Ridiculously fun. I played it 10 minutes before we started recording, by the way. Yeah. Uh, I was, I was going to, but then I had something else I had to do. But yes, (laughs) uh, I, I, when I'm not playing it, I'm thinking about playing it. You know, Uh, I'm also streaming on Twitch. So if you want to see me play it on Twitch, I'm at uh, Dave Chensky on Twitch. But anyway, uh, in addition to being just a really great game, it also is heavily inspired by the Paul Verhoeven movie Starship Troopers. There was also a viral tweet thread that happened about Starship Troopers and people debating what it is Starship Troopers is about. And <laughs> yeah, I yeah. Uh, I have watched Starship Troopers, and you know I watched it when I was in high school, and I, you know my my main recollection of it at the time is. Wow, this is a uh, really rip roaring sci fi space adventure that also happens to be kind of, you know, uh, has this coming of age high school romance as a as a kind of framing device, you know, and uh, I or not as a framing, device, kind of as a, as a vehicle to to uh, to have this really great sci fi action adventure. Um, and even back then, you know, there's some stuff in the movie that was like, oh, that's a little weird, like. Why? Why is everyone? You know, I'm doing my part, and you know, it obviously is like a um, a kind of propaganda. There's mm-hmm. propagandistic elements to it. You know, that's that's how I felt when I saw the original movie. Decades Almost ago. like you're watching propaganda. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. And mm. then, you know, I, I got older, and uh, I, I started watching, and I started noticing, hey, there's a, there's a few like uh, there's some really weird stuff in the movie. Like, first of all, the movie opens with Michael Ironside saying that uh, the society has been taken over by a militaristic organization and is no longer under civilian rule, uh-huh. right? Democracy is dead. Democracy uh, is a failed yeah. experiment, Demo- right? Democracy is a failed experiment. The uh, You need to serve in war to be, or serve um, in the military in order to earn citizenship. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a woman who says, you know, uh, the reason I'm serving the military is to get a license to have kids. It's like, huh. That's, that's kinda, weird. That's kind of odd that that's a thing. Um the ways in which uh, you know the the bugs the um, from Clendathu, the way in which they are described, um, seems really interesting. Like theoretically, they're able to fling asteroids literally across the galaxy to hit specific targets on Earth. Huh, that's weird. Um, that seems, that seems a little strange. Bit, that seems far fetched, considering later on they're also described as not, not having any intelligence. Yeah, they they can't um, really do much out of like out of their planet. Interesting. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Really, really interesting. So anyway, uh, where this is all going is that it has become very clear to me that uh, that Starship Troopers is fascist propaganda. 
uh, it's like a fascist propaganda film, it, and that mm -hmm. is the text of the film. Like the the movie has this kind of framing device of you are in this, I guess, computer terminal of the mm -hmm. government, and it's like click here to learn more. And it's, so it's like the idea is that you're watching like a fascist propaganda video, and I was very grateful to uh, Scott Hughes, a listener to the filmcast, who pointed me to this clip from uh, a, the writer of Starship Troopers talking about Paul Verhoeven's motivation for making the film. Paul said, oh gosh, I've always wanted to make this movie uh, set in Germany in 1935, and it's, it's about a bunch of teenagers, and they're all coming into their life, and it's exciting time, and things are happening in the country, and, and everybody's joining the Nazi party, and, and the thing that he thought that was amusing to him was he said, and nobody knew it was wrong. And I said to him, oh, they'll never let us do that, you know, in, in, in Hollywood. I mean, a real story about, you know, 1935 Nazi, the, you know, young Nazi Nazis uh, who, before they know they're bad. But that's where Starship came in. It's about, oh, I guess it was about five years later. I thought, oh, you could do that with this. Mm -hmm. That's uh, Edward Newmeyer talking about Starship Troopers in the Mark Cousins 2011 series, The Story of Film. And yeah, it, it's basically... By, by the way, kind of reminiscent of, uh, of Zone of Interest, too. Mm, of people yeah, like, yeah, yeah, involved yeah. in this and like maybe not really questioning... Totally. Like the, the evilness of their actions. Yeah. Extremely similar themes, I would I would argue. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh and the thing that's that I think is breaking a lot of people's brains uh, online that I've seen break people's brains is oh, like uh, Starship Troopers is fascist propaganda, but but I liked Starship Troopers. I enjoyed it, therefore it cannot be fascist propaganda. You know, mm -hmm. um it's clearly like a satire, right? But uh I think people don't like to admit being taken in by something like that. And, and, but in fact, I actually think that's a testament to how effective the film is, is like it, it, you know, why are people wearing Nazi uniforms? And also why is Rico from Argentina, which is not something that was in the original book. Anyway, all these things that are like mm -hmm. very deliberately made to, uh, I mean, well, this, why is this, this cast of white, basically white <laughs> European looking kids from Argentina, which mm -hmm. by the way, a lot of Europeans went to Argentina. Yes. So it's like, you can almost read it as sort of like, oh, well that, that mission was completed, I guess. Or the world government is just like fully, fully taking things over. I don't mm -hmm, know. Mm -hmm. I thought this That's was it. all settled 20 years ago. I thought we all, a all lot knew of this, this was settled, Jeff, but uh, people don't pay attention to yeah, things. Yeah. Yeah. So I felt, people I felt don't the, read. I felt the need to just kind of uh, get, get, get the word out there again about, get the word about out. that. I mean, uh, people, yeah. I don't think people fully ever talked about how did, the uh, the bugs throw an asteroid to yeah. earth how how yeah. did that happen and that is i love how it's like not even really fully it's never questioned in the movie right. it's like a lingering thing it's like how did these bugs they're just bugs they're just giant bugs you know that occasionally can attack spaceships that are outside their planet but we don't see yeah. them leaving the planet and stuff yeah it seems pretty clear that the attack on buenos aires is a false flag yes. operation so yes. anyway yeah, so th these are not necessarily thoughts I had when I was watching this movie as a high school student, you know, but uh, they are thoughts I have now. How, how and, amazing that there was a big time Hollywood director, you know, at the time with ambitions like this. Right. To be like, to we'll just make do this and from make the fun Nazi of, perspective, basically. From the yeah. Nazi perspective, but yeah. also also kind of make fun of like what Americans want from action movies mm -hmm. too. Like he, mm -hmm. he is playing with what we want and everything. I love Paul Verhoeven. Yeah. What a madman. But, but in doing it, he it, it shows how 
intoxicating mm-hmm. fascism can be and like why why it is people would willingly sign up for this yeah and i, I think it's a work of genius that still holds up so the enemies anyway. are just bugs and we still hear that language today i think yeah, it was Absolutely. not a mistake and exactly what you were talking mm-hmm. about davindra where it's like you could you know from a certain perspective you could read something like rambo mm-hmm. in the same way you know there's a lot of mm-hmm. uh we were coming off a period where a lot of mainstream hollywood entertainment was jingoistic I mean, top gun was yeah. jingoistic yeah, yeah. was was uh propagandistic mm-hmm. you know i think it's uh it is an absolute commentary on the state of the popcorn movie mm-hmm. and and you know I, I again i was a little older than you guys when this yeah, came out yeah. but nobody wasn't i i didn't think anybody wasn't aware of that at the time well like the movie was, was not reviewed very well jeff like a it major did not critics, do well that's for sure yeah. major critics yeah. kind of looked down on it and like never really dug into the themes of it because it looked like big dumb popcorn movie yeah you know right. yeah yeah uh also interestingly rambo and uh starship troopers both movies that had amazing first installments uh, with themes that were completely undone in their sequels, <laughs> you know, like the many, there, many sequels. I think there of have Starship been five Troopers. Starship Troopers films. So with Casper Van Dien and a bunch of them. Yeah, I believe, and I, right? I, yeah. I don't think that they upheld the spirit of the first film. So anyway, uh, Starship Troopers, incredible movie. Helldivers two, incredible game. Uh, be sure to check them both out. I would strongly recommend. All right, that's another thing I've been watching. Jeff Kanata, let's take it home. What's something you've been watching? Well, I had the good fortune of checking out a new movie with my kids on Netflix called Orion and the Dark. Um, we are certainly familiar with the Pixarification of uh, of uh, 3D animated mm-hmm. kids' fair. You know, the idea being there's a, a bit of a template. You know, you take s- sort of abstract concepts and you anthropomorphize them. You 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 know you have uh, the your feelings your feelings are all characters you have the the things the, whatever the thing is the things are characters the toys are characters the things are characters the feelings the abstract concepts are characters what elemental the elements are characters in orion in the dark the dark is a character it's darkness is anthropomorphized darkness itself and also other other concepts like sleepiness and and good dreams and and anxiety they're all pixar style anthropomorphized and everything about this movie leads you to believe it's going to be a pixar level uh kind of walk through that kind of experience once again except it's written by charlie kaufman mm-hmm. ryan in the dark is a Kids seven rated movie written by uh, Charlie Kaufman, ladies and gentlemen, which means it's about existential dread. (laughs) And it's also a complete deconstruction of that Pixar trope. It is utterly brilliant all the marketing I think around this movie leads you to believe it's going to be a very conventional Pixar experience. And it delivers that to a certain extent. It is my kids had a great time watching this with me. I watched this alongside my seven-year-old and my five-year-old. Both of them loved it, but it is so much more 
It, this is one of my favorite movies of the year. I think it will make my list at the end of the year. It is one of my favorite kids animated, one of my favorite animated movies, period, I've seen in, in a while. And I, I was weeping at the end. I was weeping in the middle. Um, it is so beautiful and insightful. It it deconstructs the genre in, in incredibly powerful ways. It's about storytelling. It's it it. it takes what is usually sort of a pat uh, lesson that these movies give to kids and questions that and says, maybe we can strive for something greater than that by being a little more honest. It's absolutely special. Orion in the Dark, special. It, it, is, it is masquerading as something very much not special, very much feels uh, run of the mill and dime a dozen th these days, these kind of, you know, Pixar wannabe movies. It is masquerading as that. And the Trojan horse contains something far more profound, far more powerful, far more beautiful, far more insightful. Uh, I, I, I was gobsmacked by this one. I sat on the couch uh, holding my kids in either arm, just tears pouring down my face, loving Orion in the dark. It is, I, I think adults should watch it. I think kids would enjoy it. Fantastic movie. Awesome. I need to see this one, Jeff. So thanks for yeah. the recommendation. Yeah. Please don't miss it. I think it is unfortunately one of those movies you could absolutely scroll by and be like, yawn, not nothing special about this movie. Another one of those, maybe if there's some Saturday and I need a, an hour and a half for, to entertain my kids, I'll put it on and walk out of the room. Don't make that mistake. This movie is special and it's, it's so smart. And it, 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 it does what Charlie Kaufman does so frequently and why I love his work. It breaks rules. It breaks the rules right in front of you it, it asks, why can't we just do it this way? And why, and maybe we've just thought about things in a certain way for so long, we, we forget to question it. And yet he's there to break the rules and force you to th rethink things that you took as assumptions. And he does it in the context of this very accessible kids movie. It's, it's really, really brilliant. Very cool. The movie is Orion in the Dark, and it is streaming right now on Netflix. And that is what we've been watching this week. Let's take one more break for a sponsor. We'll be back with more and our review of Driverway Dolls right after this. All right, let's do a few weekly plugs. Weekly plugs are part of the show each week where we plug something else we've been making. I have something really interesting today. Uh, there is a listener and also a supporter of ours named Stephen David Miller. And... Every year on his personal blog, he wrote this uh, piece that was something along the lines of 10 cinematic pairings that were his favorite films of that particular year. And so he'll take 20 movies that he liked from the year and then connect them to each other. Other people have done this um, online, and so he's not the first person to do it. But I just really love the way he drew some of these connections. And so I asked him to publish, uh, if he wanted to publish his 2023 piece over at decodingeverything.com, my free newsletter. And he said yes. And so that's where you can find it. Uh, decodingeverything.com, 10 cinematic pairings that define 2023. Uh, really well-written piece and just kind of going through some of the biggest films of 2023. And 
how they're all connected to each other. And I think it's really fascinating some of the connections he draws. Uh, so I would strongly encourage everyone to check this piece out. Again, it's uh, 10 cinematic pairings that define 2023. And it's available right now at decodingeverything.com. That's my weekly plug. Devinder Hardware, hit us up with a weekly plug. Oh, sure. Um, I have an ongoing guide over at Engadget. We tend to do product recommendation stuff and we update them from time to time. And I have a guide for best gaming laptops that I think people should check out over at Engadget.com. Best gaming laptops of 2024. We also talk about like what I look for in a gaming laptop. Uh, a lot of people often come to me to for advice, like what kind of CPU or GPU I should get, or should I focus on RAM, that sort of thing. Um, all of my advice is boiled down into this guide so you should all take a look if you're looking for a gaming laptop and, you know, throw, throw in gadgets some support. We're dealing with layoffs and a whole bunch of stuff on our end. So any any visits and any support would be great. Indeed. All right. Mm-hmm. Jeff Kanata has up with a weekly plug. I sell limericks uh, personalized to you, should you so desire, at cameo.com slash Jeff Kanata. You can give a limerick to your friend. You can give one to yourself. They're good for any occasion. They bring smile and delight to all those who experience them. There's never been a bad limerick. This is my position. And uh, a bunch of people will agree with me if you check my Cameo page out. There's about 155 star reviews uh, of people that have really, really enjoyed the process of receiving one. Get one for yourself or your loved one at cameo.com slash Jeff Canada. And of course, I want to throw a shout out for patreon.com slash film podcast, which is how you can support this show. Uh, Ad-free episodes and exclusive After Darks are what you get for doing so. Again, we covered True Detective Night Country last week, plus a bunch of your emails. Uh, This coming week, we are going to be looking back on Dune Part 1. And then next week, we'll be covering Dune, the David Lynch version. So I I have actually never seen that movie in its entirety. Oh, it's going to be a fun watch. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to checking it out. (laughs) <laughs> watching the Dune saga mm-hmm. in two films. I'm curious what you're going to think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you indeed. read Dune? I have not. Mm. How about you, Jeff? Yeah, I have, read? yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I'm really curious what you think about the movie then. Yep. All right. Uh, Patreon.com slash film podcast. Of course, we never want you to donate if it in any way causes you financial hardship. You can always support us for free. Share our videos. Share about our podcast on any social platforms. Leave a star review for us on Apple Podcasts. It really does help. Let's get to our review of Driveaway Dolls. The case, Santos. Not on your life. Hello, girls. It's the last body shot competition, so we are going to salt you up. I've had it with love. I don't believe it's relevant to the 21st century lesbian. You're not wearing that. I just came from work. I came from Toledo. I don't dress like it. I'm not here to peddle my wares. I'm leaving town. I am too. That was my plan. Where are you going? Tallahassee, Florida. I've been unhappy. That's why we take this trip together, honey babe. We get our act together together. Welcome to the film cast review of Drive Away Dolls. I'm going to read the plot summary from the internet. Quote, in search of a fresh start, two women embark on an impromptu road trip to Tallahassee, Florida. However, things quickly go awry when they cross paths with a group of inept criminals along the way. End quote. This is a movie by Ethan Cohen, written by... Uh, Ethan Cohen and I think Trisha Cook, is that right? Trisha yeah, Trisha Cook, Cook yeah. wrote the screenplay with him. Uh, Ethan Cohen now doing it, doing it on his own. No longer the Cohen brothers, but certainly a lot of Cohen brothers inspired antics and tone in this film. Devendra Hardwar, what did you think of Driveaway Dolls? So 
I, I went into this movie kind of kind of like Jeff. Um, I actually didn't know much about this other than Ethan Cohen directing it. Uh, I, this movie was not really promoted much, so I yeah. never ran to any trailers. It just yeah. kind of appeared. I was like, yep. okay, I'm just going to roll with this. It stars people I like. So just went in expecting a good time. And I will say a good time I had. This is a, I, I think this movie's a, it's a, it's a wild romp. It's a lot of fun. Sure. A little tonally inconsistent. And I think it takes a while to like get to the vibe of what it is. Although the very first scene probably sets up like how silly of a movie this is. Right. Um, but no, I was totally like, I, I think it took me like five or 10 minutes, but I was totally vibing with this movie, this adventure, these two girls are going on. Um, yeah, you know, it's a journey of self-discovery and self-expression too. It is a weirdly horny movie from a Cohen brother, which is also kind of unusual, but Hey, all for it. Um, yeah, yeah. There, there, there was a lot going on in this movie that I did not expect going in. Um, certainly not a movie to bring your parents to, I guess, but I had a lot of fun with it. Um, Margaret Qualley in particular reminds me a lot. There's a lot of like Nicolas Cage from Raising Arizona in mm-hmm. here in her voice in her like mannerisms just like how crazy she is um love the you know the crazy henchman or the silly henchman too like it, it is just like classic cohen stuff um that i enjoyed spending time with and this movie doesn't doesn't waste your time you know it's you're in you're out i think it's a fun journey i like these characters and i think it's a funny script even if uh not all the jokes land and sometimes it's like a little repetitive maybe but I I had a really good time with it. Uh, maybe because it was also not a great day for me yesterday. That was the day when I learned, you know, most of my colleagues were being fired. Um, so that wasn't great. But this movie, um, I think it was like the dose of energy and hilarity that I needed at the time. And I really I really dig it. Like I want to rewatch this with my wife because I think she'll have a lot of fun with it too. How yeah. great is it to not know anything going into a movie? I mean, in this case, it, it's it's good. In this case, sometimes I don't know, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Margaret Qualley, by the way, completely charming and irresistible in this so film. I, just and I love think... Gerald, Geraldine Veswanathan. Yes. Also great. Like I've yes. loved her in everything I've seen her in. Yeah. Yeah. But it's I, I I've seen Margaret Qualley in a few things. You know, The Leftovers. I think she was mm-hmm. in Poor Things. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, Nice Guys. Yeah, towards the end. Um. Right. Right. And so I've seen her a few things, but like this is a, such a different energy that she brought to this one that I haven't seen before, and I just think she's. Wonderful. She's like so kind good. of the engine of the movie, and mm-hmm. uh, I thought she did a, a lovely job. Jeff Kanata, what do you think of Driveway Dolls? Well, Dave, what I thought of Driveway Dolls was best summed up in the form of a limerick. Uh-huh. Give me two Coens or give me any, because <laughs> there's still lots to like. There's plenty. I had so much fun, but for gripes, there's just one. Third act coincidence, too many. Mm. <laughs> Very nice. Very Thank nice. you. We'll get to that, obviously, yeah. in spoilers. Uh, but I'm right there with Devendra. <laughs> I had so much fun with this movie. And it really is squarely in my sensibilities. Mm-hmm. I just am such a Cohen Brothers stan. I am such a sucker for their particular brand of language and visual aesthetic and just sort of quirky heightened not very realistic but kind of feels how reality feels way of looking at the world Uh, there is one scene in particular toward the beginning of this movie that is like quintessential coen brothers to me quintessential what i love the prime example of what i love about their work and it is we're in this 
nondescript, rundown, mm-hmm. weird driveway office. I was, which I was gonna yeah. say, where, yeah. is it Curly's place? That's what yeah. I thought. Curly's which, place. Like, yeah. uh, is that a thing? Like, I've never heard of that. I've Drive, never heard of this, away. but I, it is a thing you can arrange. But it's never like there's an office to do. Like, you drive somebody's car somewhere. I, Huh. I would have believed that this was completely fabricated for this movie and I wouldn't have had minded <laughs> at all. Like it's, it's, but, uh, anyway, so they're in this office and there is, uh, uh, what's the name of the actor that plays Curly? Oh gosh. I don't have him in front of me. Bill Camp, right? Is Bill Camp. Yeah. Oh, he's so great. Yeah. He's Bill so Camp. Good. Thank you. Uh, he's so great. He's in the foreground, two weird dudes, uh, in the background, uh, or I guess it's not really framed that way. But anyway, yeah. the idea is that there's dialogue happening sort of in the corners of the frame. Everybody is super deadpan and just saying these words that are written in this very stylized way. And it, it is all so composed and composited and 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 weird, but just feels like what it feels like to go into some weird place in the middle of nowhere Mm -hmm. and talk to some person that doesn't want to be standing there. And it never would play out exactly like that because there's a poetry to how it's all written, but man, they, they, because it's heightened, it gets to this place that just strikes a chord and you go, Oh my God, I've been in that situation before with that guy (laughs) in that place. And just nobody wants to be there. It's excruciating to everyone involved. And and the movie is full of stuff like that. In in classic Coen Brothers style, the the writing is whip smart. The characters are bizarre and interesting and uh, distinct. And you know, like you guys, I loved Margaret Qualley. I, you know, two two minutes in, I was like, I don't know about this accent, but half an hour <laughs> in, I was like, I love this accent. She is the <laughs> child of H.I. McDonough, like or something. Like there, there's like some continuation there. <laughs> it's. It's great. And and mm-hmm. the way that the Coen brothers constantly find this kind of subcultures vernacular, the, 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 the way that they they mine the particular ways that certain types of people speak and find ways to, to build character around that. I just find so, so enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And this movie, like I don't think it was a home run by the end or at the end, but I had so much fun watching it. Um, you know, I, I felt, as I said, in my limerick that it kind of just kind of it gets a little too convenient there at the end, and it, it it's a little too cheeky. You know, it's a it's a bit too on the nose. Uh, but cheeky and other things, yes, yeah. But I had a blast at the movie theater, and and again, it's like an hour twenty six minutes. Yeah, here yeah. it's it's a breezy, fun romp. It's great. Definitely a movie that. Movies ask things of us, you know, mm-hmm. and often the primary way that they ask things of us is through the runtime. And this is a movie <laughs> that does not ask that much of you and also gives you a lot. And uh, I am very, very grateful for it. I had a great time with this film. Super fun. Margaret Qualley, MVP, in my opinion. The thing that's sad about this movie is, guys, we used to be able to get a Coen Brothers movie once every one to two years, you know, like, and they wouldn't always be great. You know, this one I would say is right down the middle. It's a very solid one. I don't think it's going to be like one of the all time classics or anything like that, nor do I think it's bad in any way. Uh, it's just, Hey, that was, that was a fun kind of inconsequential romp. Uh, we used to get these all the time. We used to get like one, the lady killers, right. Intolerable right. cruelty, you know, like 
they, they weren't all great, but like, hey, they're they're always <laughs> doing something interesting. They're, they're doing some, something, and then they make no country for old men. You're like, that's right? a masterpiece. Yeah. Yes. yes, you know, so, they, yeah. they used to do yeah. like the one for me, one for them kind of thing, where they would mm-hmm. make a you know uh, a movie that was like a huge hit, like No Country for Old Men, and then they're like, I'm doing a serious man now, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. and that this kind of movie is pretty much going away. You know, like we we rarely get these kinds of movies anymore. Uh, where it's like low to mid budget by an auteur director that's not IP driven, um, that doesn't have necessarily any big name stars. Although I'm obviously mm-hmm. very uh, have a lot of respect for Mark Quayley. for um, sure. But like yeah. B- Ballad of Buster Scruggs was 2018. Yeah, that is that feels like forever. And it was essentially direct movies. to Netflix. You know, there was yeah, a was, I think yeah. limited run. Uh, in theaters, I think, but yeah, it's, it's essentially direct to Netflix. So, uh, it, it basically reminded me of the good old days, you know, when the Coen mm-hmm. brothers could just make these movies once every couple of years and, um, you'd watch it, you'd have a good time. And then you don't need to spend six months theorizing about who is in the post credit sequence, you know, like it's just, <laughs> it's just a good time and, uh, really, really funny. Uh, I was like, the only, I think I was the only person laughing in the theater, uh, but there's only like six other people with me. So uh-huh. whatever. It was just time. me. It was just me. And I was <laughs> laughing aloud by myself. In the yeah, theater, I laughed so. a lot too. Yeah. yeah. It's, re- it's, it's really a very funny, funny movie. Particularly yeah. the ending is really funny. So let's get to that. Yeah. So, uh, spoilers for, uh, driveway dolls starting right now. I thought up an ending for my book. It makes no damn sense. Compels me, though. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. When I buy a new book, I always read the last page first. That way, in case I die before I finish, I know how it ends. You can't handle the truth! Inconceivable! I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. I think there's various times in this film where it feels like the filmmakers are aware that they're making a film, right? I mean, there's, uh-huh. there's all these interstitials uh that uh, you know like kind of transition between scenes but w- one of my favorite moments of the ep- the movie is when the two girls discover what is inside the case mm-hmm. and then Margaret Qualley's character talks to Beanie Feldstein's character and is like explaining it to her on the phone and literally at the moment she says what it is some guy's radio goes off and then she's yeah. like turn that down I can-. and then so you don't you as the audience don't mm-hmm. hear what it so is good. until the very end uh that's just it's just nice that they're like, hey, we're gonna obscure this for you until the end of the movie, and having we so know, much fun with it. Yeah, 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 we know that we're obscuring it, and you know that we're obscuring it. So let's yeah. just have a little fun with it. And we're, yeah. we're all questioning, like, what's in the case? What's, yeah, in, the what's case? in the case? You will not guess what's in the case. Which is <laughs> also the- funny too. Like the actual reveal is like, did not expect a case of dicks. It almost did not felt expect like that. It, it almost yeah. felt like a parody of yeah. what that kind of thing yes. would be. Absolutely movies, right, right. And um, that's honestly that was my only complaint is that it's like. <laughs> these people find that ca- you know like it, of, you know of all the gin joints in all the world it had to be this one you know it Listen, feels like such a uh, a childless couple runs into you know a couple that has way too many kids hilarity ensues you know like that's i get that's it their i get it but i think you know the movie would have been like these people finding any case would have been funny like the 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 inciting incident right is there, somebody needs to go to Tallahassee. The yeah. Next people walk through the door. We want to go to Tallahassee, and they get the wrong car. Right? Mm-hmm. That's the inciting incident. The fact that they happen to be the perfect people to get this particular case <laughs> in that case of mistaken identity is uh, 
Yeah, it, it was a bit of a bridge too far for me, but I also recognize how much fun the filmmakers were having at that point. And it's like, okay, I'm with you. It's a bag, yeah. it's a bag of dicks. It's <laughs> a bag of dicks. I mean, it's also, I love the way this, this movie leans into like, just it's about lesbians trying to make friends with other lesbians. And like, it is, it, that's it. It's very unapologetic about what it is. And then you get to the point of the case, suitcase of dicks. You know what's going to happen with that. So, yeah. Great. Yeah, I uh, I mean, I have so many so many favorite moments in this movie, but one of them is when Coleman Domingo, it's all very silly by the end, right? Mm-hmm. Coleman Domingo's character is ge- the monologuing. There's no reason he needs to tell these women this information, right? He, but he is he is explaining what the dicks, the significance of the dicks. Uh, and for those who who are listening to this but don't know what the movie's about these women accidentally take this suitcase down to Tallahassee and they don't know what's in it. They open it and they find, I think it's five dildos of varying shapes and sizes. Five molds. Yeah. Five men. (laughs) Yeah. Which are based off of real life men's penises. Right. Uh Uh, And it just so turns out that one of those penises belongs to a conservative uh, congressperson from Florida played by Matt Damon. Uh, And so they're trying to get this back. So they're trying to get Matt Damon's, dildo shaped you know the matt damon dildo back uh-huh. before it hurts his career Which, yeah by the way that's one of the i, I guess back then <laughs> i think this movie takes place in 1999 so, so back this then a- that would have been a scandal right <laughs> but yeah, i guess <laughs> here's the thing if this is a real like streisand effect type thing like if you don't <laughs> if you don't go looking for it sending hitmen for the dick <laughs> having like a whole like uh yeah. you know pickup operation for the dick nobody would know yeah nobody would know there's, it there, there's no identification like a, there yeah it feels like a vaguely clinton administration yes. type mm-hmm. scandal yes. but also uh you know the, uh, it occurred to me while watching that this is an example of the thing we've talked about numerous times on the show where this movie had to take place in 1999 yes. Yes. because a single cell phone ruins yeah. this movie. Well, what the, <laughs> one of the guys in the car has a cell phone, but it makes sense that the two girls wouldn't have cell phones. Yeah, exactly. Time, right? Or yeah. they have dumb phones. Like at the, at yeah. the best, people, some people have dumb phones. Right. Yeah. But right, I, right. it yeah. feels like more and more these movies are just going to have to be period. There's, there's yeah. no other reason this movie needed to be a period movie. Yeah. It's just like... Well, if everybody has an iPhone in their pocket, then none of this happens. Yeah. You know, yeah. Or, and they have to look through a map and they have to chart the thing through the yes, map and they can't right. just sit there and do GPS. So right. you know, that's this part is, of the fun. This is what we're losing. This is what I we know. lost in the era of smartphones is, you know, marking on the map world's biggest Dixie cup and then mm-hmm. being able to go there, you know? And there's so. a, there's going to be a moment at which like nobody remembers the, these times. And so then these movies become basically like old West movies. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. no one's around to remember those times, uh-huh. but we know they existed. Right. You know, right. it's a time capsule basically. Yeah. It's a time capsule. So anyway, um, so he explains, I don't even remember where I was going with this, but oh yeah, well, I was saying, mm-hmm. I think it actually, <laughs> modern day audiences, when you watch this, it probably seems extremely quaint that this could be even possibly a for sure, scandal. For sure, for um, sure. But I think, it, I think it's believable that, you know, he would care. No, I don't know that he would send people to kill how, for it. How would anybody trace it? Like, unless, uh, unless <laughs> like there was like, we got a clear shot of the senator's dick and we have done forensic analysis. Yeah. 
This dildo is his dick. Every dick has a very specific, you know, shape and pattern, Devendra. So, like every dick yeah. is a snowflake. Every, every dick, dick is a snowflake. I mean, we, right. we have a vague description of Trump's dick. You know, that is the world we live in. That is yeah. the world we live in, which is dumber <laughs> than the reality of this farcical movie. It's so, so true. We that do. Exactly. We have that. He has paid a porn star. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing uh, we live in this world. I, I was going to say my favorite part of the movie is when Coleman Domingo is giving a monologue explaining what it is and it's cutting back to the hotel room. Like yeah. it's like a thriller. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it's to the like, cleaning lady. Oh, oh, this is when she discovers the dead body, but it's instead Matt Damon's dildo. Yeah. Uh, it's, it was amazing moment in the, in the film. Incredible. I love this. I yeah. love how throughout the movie, you know, we are led to believe that these are, uh, this is like a criminal underworld, you know, typical yeah. Coen mm-hmm. brothers. And, right. and, you know, they're all throughout it trying to be very reasonable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they're really yeah. doing their best to try to be reasonable about it. Like just give the, give the bag of dicks back. <laughs> give the, I love the hitmen. <laughs> like the, the, the hitmen are just like, one is personable guy likes to talk. The other guy so likes to good. hit things. And their, their whole, <laughs> that is also such a perfect Cohen pairing of hitmen, right? Like it is, it is Fargo. It is so many yep. other things, but so love good, them, but, like, but they're just trying to be reasonable. They are. Maybe That's treat them like different. human beings. That whole yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. Joey Slotnick talking. Just it's, wanna hit things. It's so good. And then how they're described as, uh, um, uh, um, of mice and men, you know, she's like, mm-hmm. read a book. It's very funny. <laughs> very funny. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Um, and then uh, Matt Damon's speech at the end of the film, I thought was very good. Like him rebelling against the commodification. It, it's a whole like reversal. Yes. Of, like it's yes. the men who are objectified in this movie. Right. And yeah. uh, that's very funny. Uh, but unfortunately not the world we actually live in these days. So uh, any other <laughs> thoughts about driveway dolls? I mean, it's 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 just funny. Like I, I think like how I like how unapologetic un- unapologetic this movie is. Right? It is about two lesbian friends who go off to explore themselves and kind of their sexuality at the same yeah. time. And it is, it's all meaningful to the characters too. Like we have the free spirit, we have the more like buttoned up one, and to kind of see, to kind of see like Geraldine Viswanathan kind of open up a little bit too. I think is a lot of fun. I yeah, and I when they everything. have their they yeah. have their like intimate love scene, it mm-hmm. was actually quite. Quite moving, I thought. It was you know? very sweet. She's very yeah. sweet, and very tender. You know that when they come together, yeah. So I'm anyway. glad you brought her up because I, I we, we shouldn't go through this whole uh, review without talking about. She's her. so good. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, she, she. I thought you know as much as we all um, fond over uh, Margaret Qualley and yeah. roughly so. I think yeah. uh, Geraldine Viswanathan is is absolutely fantastic in this part too, and she kind of gets the less showy role. She's the yeah. button up, straight laced. I don't want to do it, but. I, I like that character and it's so much fun seeing her play that, um, you know, kind of repressed and, and, uh, there's so many fun moments of her, you know, <laughs> reading Henry James in a hotel. It's just f- so funny. And yeah, it's so funny. Uh, if, 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 I don't know if you've seen this Dave, but anybody else who is not aware of it, Margaret Qualley does amazing things, but she did this, uh, this, uh, it was a perfume commercial, the Kenzo world commercial. If you search Kenzo world on YouTube, she does a great thing. Very similar to the Christopher Walken. Yeah. I see dancing it. it's, music it's, it's, is that, yeah, it's a, it's a really spectacular. Yeah. It's good stuff. Um, and she is just like great and magnetic on screen. I think this movie also captures that too. So, yeah, I totally bought these two characters relationship. And mm-hmm. one of my favorite moments of that part of that component of the movie was the next day after Margaret Qualley has brought someone back to the room the next day they're in the car, they're talking and she's like, 
so how was your last night? Da, 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 da. And then, and then like just randomly she interjects like, you know, you shouldn't have brought someone back to the room. Like <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. how it play out. You'd be talking, you'd be talking and like, okay, you shouldn't have done, you know, like just randomly yeah. you'd say like, it was not cool what you did. It was not yeah. cool. And um, I completely bought that relationship. It was really delightful. So, and, and yeah, when they finally kind of are intimate with each other, it's very mm-hmm. tender and sweet. And um, uh, I, I just appreciated that. It's like, Oh, this is the ultimately, despite all their differences, they're two people who really care about each other. Whether they actually have a viable future together, <laughs> who's to say? The movie is over. You know, we'll never right, know. Right. The movie's over, although I would love to hear more about their stories. Like, that, no. this is such a fun pair. Yeah. I don't know. It feels... They just seem so different. You know, I don't know. They're that. so different, but I they're going to Massachusetts. Yeah. You know? But they're heading to Massachusetts, uh, which I guess was one of the first states where you could have civil unions, right? So yep. that's why they head there at the end of the movie. So anyway... Any other thoughts, or shall we wrap it up there, folks? Uh, uh, I good, good stuff for everybody. I still feel bad for Curly. Nobody saved Curly, dude. The the moment we yeah, lying on the down, ground throwing just the papers there. up in the air, trying to get somebody to see him. <laughs> yeah. so funny. He says, "Like, won't somebody save won't Curly? Somebody save Curly." <laughs> yeah, so and uh, Pedro Pascal. Uh, what a he's in this movie for thirty seconds. I guess like alive, yeah. right? Like not for very long, but. What a way to open a movie is to see Pedro Pascal uh, stabbed several times comedically. Um, I don't, do you guys remember Crime Wave, the Sam mm. Raimi movie? Like this, this has similar vibes to the to the insanity. Well, yeah, Crime the Wave. Yeah. the opening was this extremely heightened, yeah, reality, and it, it felt like it honestly didn't fit in with the rest of the movie. Like it, the rest of the movie is not that. It has like it kind of rises to a little bit, but like mm-hmm. it's not as out there as the opening. By the way, uh, Ethan Cohen and Joel Cohen wrote Crime Wave, so like mm. th- there's like a big I don't know. It just feels like that vibe to me. Yeah. That movie's not yeah. very good, but it sure is stylish. Yeah, I hope uh, I hope Ethan Cohen keeps making movies because <laughs> I love this sensibility. I just absolutely adore it, and nobody else really nails it. I mean, the Fargo TV show. I guess we have you know holly doing it but it's it's not quite the same yeah, yeah this yeah. is this is my jam 100 mm-hmm. percent. random shout out i also want to say all the service people in this movie i thought were just gave really vivid <laughs> depictions right like uh mm-hmm. curly uh the uh person at the hotel front desk sure. yeah. uh the waiter at the restaurant they went to like just like really kind of memorable performances for like the guy at the end holding the bag of dicks, right? Like <laughs> all these guys just gave uh, gave really memorable performances, having like six lines in the movie. And I thought the the casting and the performance is really well done. So anyway, had a great time. Had a great time. I don't know if I'll think about this movie very much after today, <laughs> right? Uh, but I, I had a blast, and I would recommend it for anyone looking for old school Coen Brothers. Fun. Mm-hmm. So agreed. And at the end of the day, it is really impressive that Ethan Coen made a movie. That's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of the Filmcast. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Support this show at patreon.com slash filmpodcast. Uh, music for this podcast. Our theme song comes from Tim McEwen from The Midnight. Our spoiler bumper and weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross, who also edited this episode. Video assistance provided by Kurt Mega. Next week on the podcast, Dune 2. A day we have long remember. We, we Still have long been hoping for. Still Dune. Still doing. Mm-hmm. Um, How you doing? <laughs> That's Dune three. <laughs> I, I had a chance to watch Dune two recently. I will not say anything about what I thought mm-hmm. about the movie itself, but I, I had this really weird, wistful feeling while watching it. Of like, 
there was an alternate reality where I watched this movie five months ago. In the fall. You know? Because that's when it was supposed to come out. And Uh um, maybe, uh, you know, studios paid their actors and writers well and we didn't have this alternate future Mm -hmm. where the industry was completely uh, decimated. But... Listen, it it's gonna be, be. A, it's gonna be a dry year, so maybe we need it now. Maybe we need to like <laughs> spread out the joy a little bit. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> anyway, uh, look forward to our conversation about Dune Two next week, right here on the Filmcast. Until then, thanks so much for listening. We will see you later.